Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. As some of you know, a few weeks ago, I guess two weeks ago now, I spent some time in Israel. And I was in Jerusalem for a few of those days. And one of the days in Jerusalem, we started to head toward the central place in the city where the temple used to be, the the temple that the Jews would worship at, Solomon's temple, and then Herod's temple. And then this is, of course, the place also in that area where Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again in victory, which we'll celebrate in a couple weeks. And it's now the place where the Dome of the Rock, where the, the Muslims control, And we were heading toward that place, and we cut down this side street, this little alleyway, and it was called Haye Olam Street. And Haye Olam is a Hebrew term for the good life. And so I tried to impress my my, uh, guide in front of my friends and say, hey, does that mean the good life? And she goes, well done, teacher's pet. She said, it does indeed mean the good life. It means everlasting, abundant, full, vital life. That's what Haye Olam means. And so it was kind of curious to go down this narrow street and end up right in the temple area where the temple courts would have been and the whole thing. Kind of this subtle message that as you head down this path, you're going to find the good life. Interestingly, though, however, when you get through here and you make a right-hand turn, you find not necessarily the fountain of youth or springs of living water. You find a lot of people selling crap you don't need, and you find a lot of commercialism and a lot of empire and a lot of religious tension. They did not indeed have the good life. He wasn't there. It was kind of not necessarily something I was expecting to find at the end of the street. I did not think I was going to find the good life. Like most of you, I walk with a certain degree of healthy skepticism whenever there is a promise of quick transformation, I kind of keep it at arm's length. Most of us wouldn't find it surprising either that the good life, that full life, that wellness wasn't found at the end of this street. It's not found in a street in Jerusalem at all. And like you, you probably, like me, would never have had any type of glimmer of hope that you would find the good life at the end of this street. See, all of us have a pretty healthy skepticism of bold silver bullet promises of life change. Do we not? You bought the Toyota. And you found out there's more to life than eat, sleep, drive a Toyota. You bought the house and it did not satisfy you in the way that you thought it would. Maybe you, you got the timeshare and you thought, I just need a timeshare. And yet you got the timeshare and it was not all that you'd hoped it was. You took the vacation. You, or maybe you, you're dealing with some type of pain or illness and you took the medication and although it brings some relief, you still have the illness, or maybe you struggle with your weight, and you tried the diet, the fad diet, and you lost 20 pounds, and then you gained 40. Why does it happen that way? What what is that? We have all bought into hyped-up promises of the good life and been left disappointed, haven't we? Every one of us. Most of us, if you've lived long enough, have grown a healthy degree of skepticism of any kind of commercial silver bullet solutions to wellness. We kind of proceed with caution. In fact, I would say we now live in a time that's moved beyond skepticism about wellness into cynicism about wellness. 
And in fact, now, in large part due to promises, high promises that delivered low results, a lot of us are jaded about the prospect of having transformation and abundant wellness in our lives. We kind of chalk that up to cheap TikTok videos and for dreamers, but most of us now live in a place not just of skepticism, but cynicism and even a level of despair and resignation to the fact that whatever your issue is, it is what it is, and I just got to live with it. That's kind of the moment that we live in right now. I mean, with all due respect to Bell for their Let's Talk initiative. And I think it was good for a season to get mental illness out of the closet, but now we're a decade into talking about it with not a whole lot of solutions. In fact, mental illness is higher than it's ever been. And I wonder if that doesn't speak to a level of acceptance in our culture of dysfunctions that maybe at one point we would have hoped to get actual healing and help in. We now live in a time where there's a growing movement, not just of acceptance for disabilities and dysfunction, but actual animosity and offense towards the suggestion that you could or should be well. Have you noticed this? I, I, I noticed uh, a few weeks ago, there was uh, an Oscar winner, Brendan Fraser, won an Oscar for a, a movie called The Whale. And in this movie, I didn't see the movie, but in the movie, he plays a man struggling with morbid obesity. And it tries to show his life and the struggle that his life is. And it wasn't a statement whether, you know, being morbidly obese is wrong. It was a statement of the struggle he goes through. And if the, the, I read an interview with Darren Aronofsky who made the movie just saying, look, it was trying to give some compassion and sympathy for people who live with this struggle day in, day out. But the response has not been all Oscars and Golden Globes. The response, if you Google it, you'll find a lot of criticism specifically around the idea that this is fat shaming. How dare you bring awareness to this? I read an article in the Bay Area Reporter that said the whale is guilty of an anti-fat bias. Just a few decades ago, we all would have said, hey, it would be great to be in shape and be healthy. But now there is a level of acceptance that I think comes from despair that maybe I can never actually really change. There is an attitude of offense that happens now when we suggest that you could or even should be changed. Uh, perhaps the most grotesque thing that I've seen lately was to do with Mr. Beast. Anybody know Mr. Beast? If you don't, ask your kids. Mr. Beast is a YouTube star, and he does just weird, random stuff. But this one episode, he went around and he paid for a thousand people to have eye surgery to better help their eyesight. They all had this same condition. He went all across America and paid for people to have this, this procedure. And it was quite moving to watch the video because you see these people, they open their eyes and they're seeing things they couldn't see before. It's really moving and quite generous of this guy. And yet there was an onslaught of criticism toward Mr. Beast for doing this. I read one article in TechCrunch. It was, it, the, 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 I could not believe my eyes when I read the, the title. Mr. Beast's blindness video puts systemic ableism on display. Ableism, y'all. You know what that is? It's like racism, except you have an able body bias. And so they're, they're saying here that this is wrong that Mr. Beast would do this, that, that to suggest that some people aren't quite content not seeing well. 
I think this is a sign of the time. You're not, it's not, it's, this, is 100, this isn't the only article like this. There's a whole bunch saying that this is ableism. How dare you suggest that someone should want to see? This is the time that we live in. Now, I don't share all this stuff to sit and gawk at the insanity of our culture today, as tempting and as fun as that would be. I bring it up to prove a point that when it comes to getting well, we live in a time where a lot of us are at best skeptical of the prospect of life change, and at worst, we have resigned to just accept dysfunction and disability and inability and, and infirmity as it is what it is, I guess I just got to deal with it. We've set up camp around it. The cynics and the hopeful, though, are all hung up on this question of wellness. And so what I want to talk about today, can we be made well? And if so... How can we be made well? Maybe you're here and you're struggling in an area where you have for a long time just been on the mat with this particular issue. And the question we want to ask today is, can you get well? And better question, how can I get well? We are in a teaching series right now called The Road Through the Cross, where we are stopping at a couple of the mile markers that Jesus stopped at on his way to fulfill his ultimate purpose on the cross and, and with his work he did on the cross and the resurrection. And what we're trying to do as we come into Easter is look at a couple of these instances in the gospel that are going to help give us a better scope and a better picture of who Jesus is and ultimately what he came to do and what he accomplished on the cross. We're trying to get a deeper grip of the gospel. How many of you know having a deeper grasp of the gospel is a good thing? We should never tire of preaching the gospel. We should preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. You should have a grip on the gospel because it's the gospel that brings you to life, the good news about Jesus. And so we are looking at a few special instances that help see it in a different light, help us see it in a different light. Last week we looked at the woman who anointed Jesus for burial with the, the expensive perfume. And this week we're going to look at a story of a man who is made well. Now, for our scripture reading, you're ready? John chapter 5, we are going to read the scripture, but we're going to go on location. So I was actually standing in the place where this happened. I'm going to throw it to myself in Jerusalem, and I'm going to read the scripture. Are you ready? All right, let's go to Jerusalem and read our scripture for today. John records in his gospel that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he came to the pool of Bethesda. It was a common place where people would stop and it was believed to have medicinal properties and, and healing ability. And the story goes that sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes on ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured he picked up his mat and walked. 
Thanks, Brent. <laughs> I want to look at three things that this story about a man who met Jesus and his life was fundamentally and completely transformed. I want to look at three things we need to see about Jesus. Who he is, what he came to do, and what it means for us. And this story is all about us getting well. Now, John the Apostle tells us, he is an eyewitness to these things, and he tells us about this story that Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem. Now, some of you might not actually catch this, but when it says went up to Jerusalem, literally to go to Jerusalem, you're heading up. Jerusalem is on top of a high hill, and there is no way to get to Jerusalem but to go up. That's why in the Psalms there are Psalms of Ascent, because literally they would sing these psalms as they went up to Jerusalem. And it tells us that Jesus comes to this pool in what's called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, the Pool of Bethesda, for those of you who don't know, I showed some pictures of it in the scripture reading. This is what you would see today. If you were there, this is the ruins of the Pool of Bethesda. It's actually located at the northeastern entrance to the old city of Jerusalem. And so, Basically, everybody who was heading to the temple would pass by this pool. It was there on purpose. It was there for the purpose of ritual cleansing. People who were heading to the temple to worship would stop at this pool and they would bathe. This was part of the requirements of the law, and they would head up further up the hill to the temple. But this is what you would see if you went there now, just ruins. It's quite interesting, though. They've only excavated that in the last couple decades but if you were there at the time of Jesus, it would have looked something like this. This is a replica, an actual model that you can see in Jerusalem of the Pool of Bethesda. This is the pool. It, was, it says surrounded by five covered colonnades. These are the colonnades right here. And these were shelter areas that people would lay under. It tells us that all kinds of lame and sick people were placed there under the colonnades and they basically lived their lives day in, day out, particularly our boy in our story, day in, day out under these colonnades in the pool of Bethesda area. And this is what the context of our story, this is kind of the scope of our story we need to zoom in on. So at the pool of Bethesda, we find we have this man who had been, quote, an invalid for 38 years. Now, invalid probably strikes our English offense a little bit. What do you mean? He's invalid? How dare you? That's not the purpose of the Bible here. The, the term invalid comes from a Greek term which means weak or lame. It means that he had no strength in his body, that he wasn't able to walk, he wasn't able to move. We're not told about his exact condition. Other, t other stories in the gospel tells us that Jesus healed paralyzed men. He didn't say that in this. We just know that he was incapable of moving. This is what it meant by an invalid. We don't get a lot of details beyond that. What we know about this guy is that he was stuck in this position for 38 years, stuck in this dysfunction, and he had come to this point. We don't know how he got there. If someone brought him there and then left him, we're not quite sure. We just know that he'd lived in this place for 38 years. This was his life. He'd lived there so long, it had become his reality. It's kind of that, it is what it is. This is my life. This is how I live. Now, have you ever, you might not have ever been laid up next to the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, but have you ever had an area of weakness in your life for so long that you find yourself inevitably believing that this is just my life? 
This is just my life. It is what it is. I'll just have to live with it. You, maybe you're an alcoholic and you've always been an alcoholic and I, I'm just an alcoholic. I'm just an addict. Maybe you've had a broken relationship and you've tried, you've, you've hoped to see it reconciled or repaired, but you've now just conceded it is what it is. Maybe you have some area of grief you've been walking in and you thought, you know, two years, three years, five years later, I would be healed from that grief and yet you just walk with the daily grief of that person you love who's no longer here. We might not have been in this exact scenario, but you know what it is to live in a state of constant dysfunction, pain, or grief. That's the context of our message. This man's life and the state he's in, this is, the, this is the context that Jesus comes to him and Jesus asks him a question. Do you remember what it is? <laughs> Do you remember what it is? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now remember, what are we trying to do with this series? We're trying to get scope on who Jesus is and what he came to do. And John is telling us this important story so we see something true about Jesus. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. I want you to know about Jesus. When it comes to wellness, when it comes to wholeness, when it comes to the good life, when it comes to vitality, Jesus is intent on making us whole. Amen, Pastor. When it comes to the good, when it comes to wellness, Jesus is intent on making us whole. I want you to note something about our story. And John tells us this in these details. Jesus goes out of his way to go find this guy. It's very clear in the flow of the text that like this kind of was an interruption to what Jesus was doing at that time. He sought this man out. We're, we're told he went to the pool of Bethesda, which is not the part of town where the temple is. It's kind of down over there. So Jesus would have had to head over to that area. We're told it was the wrong day, not just the wrong part of town for Jesus to be in, but it was the wrong day of the week. It was the Sabbath. And not only that, it was during the time of a festival. I... I did not know how much the Jews knew how to party until I got to Israel on a festival. I was there during the festival of Purim, which is the time they celebrate Esther. And let me tell you, it was a party. They are everywhere, just loving life, singing and dancing and food and all the stuff. This would have been a very busy time in Jerusalem. And yet, John tells us that Jesus goes out of his way and he seeks this guy out and he asks him this question, do you want to be well? I, I'm coming here to you. I've found you. Now I'm inviting you. Do you want to be well? And this is a clear picture of the gospel. Get it in your head. The gospel is about Jesus having come to make us well to give us life to the full. He's inviting us to fullness of life. This is what John said in John chapter 10, same gospel writer. He tells us that Jesus said this, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that they may have, say it, life. life. That's the Greek word zoe, and it's the Hebrew word haye olam. And what that means is abundant, abounding, everlasting, lack nothing type of life. Can I just say that for your spirit to hear it? Jesus has come that you would have life. Jesus has come that you would have life. And have it 
to the full, abounding, overflowing. This is the message of the gospel. Y'all, Jesus is an ableist. Oh, man, that felt good to say. No, Jesus is an ableist. Now, I know, I know some of you are like, what, well, what about people with physical disabilities that don't get healed? We'll get to that in a second. But when it comes to the full scope of your eternal life and your eternal existence, the desire of God through Jesus Christ is to give you full, abundant, vital, everlasting, never-ending life. That is some good news. Long before wellness was a $1.5 trillion industry, Jesus came to make us well. Couple thoughts on Jesus and wellness. First is this. When it comes to wellness, Jesus doesn't avoid or affirm our dysfunction. When it comes to making us well, Jesus does not avoid or affirm our dysfunction or our afflictions. It tells us in the Gospels that Jesus went around healing every type of affliction. It's like he sought it out in his compassion and his power and grace, finding, hurting, broken people and healing them. Yes, he healed physical bodies, but you need to know something about Jesus' physical healing. All physical healing in this life is temporary, and when Jesus heals us, it's a sign to something greater, and he's actually trying to fix something deeper in us. The Bible tells us we're going to get new bodies, that at best, when God heals a body, it's a temporary fix. It's like putting a patch on a tire. Someday, he's going to give you a whole new vehicle. And so we don't get too hung up on the physicality of this. This is a picture of something bigger, your eternal existence. And Jesus came healing every type of affliction, not just physical, but relational, emotional, spiritual, economic. You see him bringing life and health and healing and wholeness to the full scope of our existence. Jesus came to make us well. Let me say this. He came to heal us in our infirmities, not coddle us in them. That's very countercultural to what's popular right now. Look what he said to the woman who was caught in adultery. John chapter 8, you can look at this later. John is a great book for you to study if you want to get a handle on the gospel. All of them are. But he said this to this woman caught in adultery, caught in the act, and they wanted to stone her to death. And we, we know the story, right? Jesus says, who are they that condemn you? And she says, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. But look what he says next. He says, now go and leave your life of... Yeah, he did not say, go, you do you, girl. Go, ha go, there's lots of fish in the sea, you know? What did he say? He said, you're, you're dysfunctional. This is a problem. There's something broken in you that needs fixing. You need to turn from that life of sin. Did you, did you catch what he's doing here? Jesus called it out. He called it for what it is. And this is true for us. You've got to understand, when you, you sign up to follow Jesus, expect him to point out things that are broken in you. Not to shame you in it. If he wanted to shame her, he would have. He didn't want to. He wanted to heal her of it. And if you start following Jesus and you find yourself like in a church community like this, you're going to Halifax, you're new, or Charlottetown, and you're brand new, here's what to expect. We get this call all the time. We get people calling our office or emailing. And they'll say something, maybe because they have church hurt or something, they'll say, will I be accepted if I come to your church? Maybe some of you have asked that question. Well, here's the answer to that. Everyone is accepted. But 
in our day and age, a lot of people aren't asking if they'll be accepted. They're asking if they'll be affirmed. And it's not likely that you'll be affirmed. The only person who could walk in the doors of this church and be assured that they'll never be corrected on anything is Jesus himself. All of us are signing up for correction, and there will come a moment, if you hang around the Holy Spirit and you hang around a kingdom community long enough, the Spirit himself will say, hey, what about that? Let's deal with that. I want to make you well. You will be, he, Jesus does not avoid our dysfunction or affirm it. He wants to heal it. Number two, Jesus is after our total wellness. Now, when you think about wellness, again, I talked about the physicality component of it, but when it comes to you, he is most worried about the true everlasting you. And so sometimes he'll even use seasons and circumstances in our lives that are painful to actually build us and bless us in some other invisible area. He's trying to make you a whole person. This is what happens, uh, you think about, you think about uh, when Jesus healed the paralytic. You know the story where they, they, they lowered, the friends lowered the paralytic down. And what happens? Jesus said to the, to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven, and did not heal his body. Jesus was just going to leave it. Why? Because his sins are the big issue. His body is a secondary issue. He said later, so that you will know that your sins are forgiven, rise, take your mat, and walk. And he healed the man. But you got to understand, Jesus is interested in healing the whole person. He wants to deal with your broken thinking. He wants to deal with your broken heart. He wants to deal with the grief that you walk in. He wants to deal with your propensities that are propensities towards sin and dysfunction. This is what he's after. And it's an unbelievable invitation to think that you could be a whole and complete person. Can I just speak that over you? Like that, that the standard the scripture puts over believers is that we would be like Jesus. Imagine yourself for a moment being full of joy, full of peace, full of wisdom, full of self-control, full of supernatural power, full of grace, full of truth, full of all the Jesus stuff. God wants you to be full of that. Isn't that amazing? Look what Ephesians says. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, for the church in Ephesus. Look, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, which, which implies something, what? That we're weak. We need help. That he'd strengthen you with his power in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. Again, you are weak. I am weak and I need help from the Holy Spirit. That you would have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He wants to enable you to understand the mystery that can't even be understood. That's incredible. Now watch this. This, this. this verse should stop you in your tracks. That you may be, say it with me, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you know what you just said there? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. As Jesus is fully holy, God wants to make you fully holy. As Jesus is full of grace, God wants to fill you to the full measure of grace. 
As Jesus is full of peace, he wants to fill you to the full measure of peace. Like, get a vision for the project that is you that Jesus is working on. We have got to stop settling for substandard dysfunctional living and take hold of that to which Jesus died and gave his life for so that we could walk in complete freedom and victory, unbound by any sin or hindrance or snares of our past or shame we feel. We can walk in all the full measure of all the fullness of God. That's that's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Third thought on Jesus and wellness. Jesus will not override our will. He will not override our will. Notice when he meets the man, he did not say, I'm making you well. He said, do you want to get well? In other words, the keys were in his hands. That although Jesus had the desire and the power to make him well, there was a question. Do you want to get well? And it's not a stupid question, is it? You know, you read it like, what... what, Invalid, what paralyzed man, what man stuck for 38 years doesn't want to get well. But how many of you know we can get quite comfortable living in our dysfunction? Has anybody noticed that? We learn how to set up our whole lives around it. And we can be so long accustomed to some area of dysfunction that we just learn that this is life and we don't really know how to envision life apart from it. Like I know people that have been abused as kids that are so far removed from that, and yet they still live on defense because of that abuse. It's a thing. There are people who are cheated on by a spouse, and years after the affair, they still have the inability to trust. Again, understandable, and yet you learn to live in that pain and in that dysfunction. Our wounds and our weakness and our habits and our hurts and our hang-ups can intermesh with our very identity, can't they? Yeah? Anybody want to be honest in church? Who am I talking to? You. All of us. We learn how to live. This becomes a part of our identity where we can't envision actually taking it apart. Like that man would have had to process for a moment, okay, but if he heals me, then what? Like, I'll get a job? Like, what do I got to do? Like, all all, this whole new scary world opens up. Do you want to get well? Now, let's keep moving. Are you with me? A couple more minutes. I'll be done done soon. But look what happens next. So Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? And the, the invalid replied this, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And when I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So we start to get a window into why or how this man is thinking about wellness. It gives us a little bit of detail or snapshot into his situation and a snapshot into the hopelessness of his thinking and the despair that he's living in. What did he say? First he said, I have no one. So he's all alone. How many of you know that suffering is one thing, suffering alone is a whole other thing? And and he has been living alone in his problem for 38 years He says, I have no one to help me. And then he says this curious thing, to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. Now, what is he talking about getting into the pool when the water is stirred? Now, there's two main reasons he would have wanted to get into the pool. Reason number one is as a Jew, you get into the pool to cleanse yourself so that you can go up the hill to the temple and encounter and worship the living God. 
So for cleansing purposes, he would want to get into the pool so that he could go like all other Jews and experience his right to worship God in the temple. But the other reason he would want to get into the pool has to do with this statement where he says, when the water is stirred. Now there was this belief around the pool of Bethesda that it had healing properties. In fact, every once in a while, because it was powered by a natural spring, new, fresh, they would even call it living water, would flow into the pool and it would start to bubble. And a belief started to form that maybe that was an angel coming from God, stirring the waters, and if you can get in and be the first to get into the water, you will be healed. And so this man had for 38 years watched as the bubbles came, people get in. I don't know if they got healed or not, but in his mind, the reason he can't get well is because the water is being stirred and I can't get in. And it shows us why he wanted to get in. One, for cleansing to get to the temple. Two, for healing that he might be well. And yet 38 years he was living so close so far. Can you imagine being within eyesight of, the, of something that could change you forever, and yet he can't make the journey from here to there. It's a, it's a terrible picture of the situation that he's in. This guy was utterly hopeless, and he had resigned to realizing that I will, ev- I will forever be right here falling short of that which could help me. What a painful predicament he was in. Everything he'd hoped in had utterly failed him. He had no friends, no way to get better. He was stuck in this situation. And it's here at rock bottom with nowhere to go, no other options, no other hope that Jesus finds him. Now, if you know the gospel, you'll know this, is, this should be sounding the alarm. That sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. That's because that is the gospel. This is a snapshot of what Jesus has done for all of us. The gospel is this. That Think about it. This man's at rock bottom. This man had no other options. This man had nothing that could help him. No one else could help him. And he had exhausted all of his options. He had no way to get better himself. No way to get up to the temple to worship God. And it was here that Jesus... Jesus found him. Oh my goodness, that's good news, y'all. Did you forget that it was there at rock bottom that Jesus found you? It was there when you had no chance, no help, no hope, no friends, where Jesus comes in your sin, in your dysfunction, in your despair, and he says, do you want to get well? That's the gospel. While this man you know what? He was maybe 20 feet from the water. He might as well have been 20 miles, 200 miles. While he was an insurpassable distance from the waters that he thought could clean him, Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to be well? It's as though Jesus is saying, I am the living waters, and I am the temple, and I am the presence of God, and I have come here for you. I have crossed the distance on your behalf. Don't miss the picture that this is trying to paint. Don't miss when it comes to wellness. The only true hope is Jesus. Maybe I'm being too uh, poetic here. Let me say it like this. We are all the invalid. And we are all stuck in our iniquity and our infirmity. And yet Jesus looked upon us in our helpless state and came on our behalf, bridging time and eternity, 
condescending himself. Philippians 2 said he did not view equality with God as something to be grasped. He did not force you to climb the mountain to God's presence. No, he humbled himself. He came down the mountain to the foot of the hill and he found you in a broken heap beside what you hoped could help you and you found that he, could, he is the only one that could actually help you. Jesus comes and he says, I am the healing you're looking for. I am the cleansing you're looking for. I am the presence and the temple of God that you're looking for. And we find this to be true. The man becomes well. Look what happens. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And this is a picture of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. This is a picture of the gospel. Paul said it so amazingly in Ephesians 2. Maybe this will take new, new, new life for you as you read this and you picture yourself stuck in your sinfulness. As for you, you were what? Dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because we mustered up the energy and picked ourselves up by our own bootstraps and worked our way back to God by being a really, really good person and praying the right prayer and putting on the right clothes and going to church on Sunday, we have been made right with God. It's not what it says, is it? It says, but because of what? His great love for us. This is something that he did. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Oh, man. Just let it, let it, re, let it remind you. Some of, us, some of us are so used to living life with Christ that you, you've forgotten that you were, he saved a wretch like me. Like sometimes it's helpful for us to take our mind back to ground zero where he found us. And we just let that remind us how greatly we've been loved and how greatly we've been saved. We look back at that as a monument, that day where he found you. And, we, and let us remind us that if he loved me then, he still loves me now. And if he raised me up then, he's going to continue to raise me up now forever and ever and ever. He who began a good work in me will bring it on to completion. Don't miss the message in this. Jesus truly has the power to change us. I have seen it in my life, and I've seen it in our church. I've been here for 17 years, almost 18, and I have witnessed people coming into encounters with the living God, and they are changed forever. I've seen people who were lame in old hurts, and wounds that they could not get over, and that over time, by the grace of Jesus, they have been set free. I've seen people who are locked in addiction and substance abuse, by the grace and mercy of Jesus, have been set free. I've seen people who are paralyzed in fear and anxiety, that by the grace of Jesus, they no longer walk in constant crippling anxiety. I've seen people who were bound in regret and shame of their past who have been set free and they really do believe that they are a new creation. 
I've seen it. I was thinking last night as I was working on this, envisioning just hundreds of faces of people that I can tell you, I, I can see the difference in their life that Jesus really is making them well. Let me say this for all to hear. There is no one too broken for Jesus. There is no sin too great for Jesus. There is no chain too strong for Jesus. And there is no wound too deep for Jesus. He can make us well. What's the invitation today? He can make you well. Okay, so really quick, I'm going to close with this. How? That sounds great. I would very much like to be well. Anybody? Like, I would like to be well. I'd very much like Jesus to zap me and be free of my anxiety. I'd very much like Jesus to zap me and be able to forgive that person who hurt me. How do I get Jesus to come to me? How do I get Jesus to have that moment with me where he finds me and, and says, do you want to get well? Well, here's, here's, the, here's the truth. He already has come to you. He already has come to you. There is a gap between what Jesus offers us and our ability to see it manifested in our lives. Something needs to happen. Like, think about this question. If Jesus has the power to make us well, why are there so many people in the church who are unwell? What gives? Here's, here's my final thought on this. And this is for some of you, like, you need to be reminded of this. When it comes to wellness, we have a part to play. When it comes to being transformed in the full measure of all the fullness of God, we actually have a part to play. Now, the miracle stuff belongs to God. He's the only one that can bring life where there was no life. He's the only one strong enough to break chains. He's the only one that can bring transformation, can give life to your body, can change your mind, can bring healing. He's the only one that can do that, but we have a part to play. Look, look, look what happens in our story. It tells us, right here, verse 9, that's all I want to look at. I've got more text than I need. It tells us that Jesus said, like, offered him to be well. He tells him why he can't be well. And then Jesus said, rise, take your mat, and walk, right? And then it says, at once the man was cured. I want to, I want to highlight this little uh, semicolon here. Then he picked up his mat and walked. And I want, I want you to just sort of zoom in on that statement. He picked up his mat and walked. There is a lot sometimes, how many of you know at once can be a process? And I have found when it comes to my transformation, the amount of time between when Jesus said the word over me and the cure, the amount of time varied a lot. Sometimes, how many of you know, how many of you have been touched before by the grace of God and you felt like an immediate shift? I've also seen changes in my life that have come over time. And what stuck out to me as I was kind of meditating on this text is that Jesus spoke the word of wellness and health and life over this man, but he had to do something. Jesus, what did he say to him? Rise, pick up your mat, and walk. Right. And then he was cured. So this man had to believe Jesus at his word and to start to try to do something that previously he was unable to do. 
Very important that you hear this. There was an exchange. There was an act of faith that happened that had to take place. This man had to lean into the word of God. If, if I could lay down here, I can't. I don't think we can get it on camera. But if this man is laying on the mat, there was this moment where Jesus comes to him. He says, do you want to be well? The man says, I would love that, but I can't. And then Jesus says, uh, yes, you can. Rise, take your mat, and walk. There was a moment between, I don't know how long it was, by the Bible writers, pretty quick, but there still was a moment between when Jesus said the word of healing over him and when he decided to start to try to move his muscles in ways that were, never, were not moved for 38 years. Do you, do you catch this? He had to actually start doing the thing in faith. Like how many steps the rest of that day was he like, I can't believe I'm walking. Like there is this process of him walking out the power of Jesus in his life. And a lot of us get stuck between when Jesus said the word over us and actually picking up our mat and walking in faith, believing that he's changing us. We get stuck in that place. Here's the hard truth that some of you need to hear. I need to hear today. There are a lot of us in the church who are waiting for our healing in some area, and Jesus is telling us, I will bring life and transformation to you, but you need to rise, pick up your mat, and start walking in faith. You need to actually start moving forward in faith. Many of us are sitting in our dysfunction and we're believing that Jesus can heal us, but we're not actuating our faith. Like, what, is that, what do I mean by that? What does it look like? What would it look like for you to move toward wellness in faith in the work and word and power of Jesus? So some of you, maybe it's an addiction. You're on the mat in addiction. You have an alcohol addiction. And you want Jesus to give you victory over this. And yet you have not started to rise, pick up your mat, and walk. Like, why are you still living in that agreement with your alcoholism? Why is your fridge still full of alcohol? What does it mean to roll up your mat and get serious about walking in health? Are you catching what I'm saying here? Maybe some of you, like some of you are struggling with pornography. And you're like, I want to be free of this. I don't like what it's doing in me. I know that it's wrong. And yet I keep coming back to it. Well, maybe if you believe Jesus had the power to heal you, you would start walking in that and you might get rid of that application or stop going to that website or unsubscribe from that platform that keeps tripping you up. Are you seeing? We have a part to play. There is this process of rolling away our old life and standing in faith, believing that Jesus is changing me, taking at his word. And how many of you know transformation is a process? It is a process. Sometimes it's quicker than others. Some areas he'll heal you fast. Some areas it's a journey. But you have got to learn to walk in faith, to rise up, pick up your mat, and walk. Some of you deal with anger unforgiveness, bitterness. You can't get over what they did to you. And you want Jesus to set you free of that, and yet you refuse to rise, take up your mat, and walk. He, what did he say about getting over forgiveness, unforgiveness? Pray for your enemies. What does it look like for you to start walking in faith, believing? Some of you are still on the mat in fear and anxiety. You're living in constant anxiety. You have nightmares. You don't rest well. You're scared. And yet you refuse to roll up the mat that is Fox News 
or roll up the mat of your Instagram feed or roll up the mat of that YouTube conspiracy theory vortex that you like to go down, you're, you're still living in your old life. Does that make sense? I feel like someone needs to hear that today just to get a little kick in the butt. Jesus will give you the grace as you learn to walk it out. There is this interplay between his power at work in us and us walking it out in faith. Look how Paul says it. I'll wrap up with this. Paul said, as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, this transformation and salvation that Jesus wants to do in your life, you're involved. Watch this. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So is it God or is it you? Well, it's God as you walk it out, as you work it out. Some of you, if you want to get well, there are, there are mats in your life you need to roll up in faith believing that Jesus will heal you and satisfy you in ways you could not imagine. Let me wrap up with this. In case I've been too abstract. Uh, you lost me, Brent. This is too abstract. Here's, here's the big idea. We all look to things that cannot ultimately make us well. Jesus invites us to truly be well by leaning into his word and faith trusting that wholeness and life will come as a result of his grace. That's the Christian life. That's the road to transformation. Only he has the power to really make you well. And as you walk it out in faith, believing that he's changing you, he will do it. Amen? Faithful is the one who calls you and he will do it. He invites you to wholeness in every way of your, every area of your life. So the question he's asking all of us today is this, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us as we wrap up all of our locations. Father, I pray today for the one who is in a moment of despair, believing that there is no hope. Holy Spirit, and just agree with me uh, over our brothers and sisters, Holy Spirit, we thank you today that in Jesus we have hope. And so, Father, I pray over the one who's here today or watching online or at St. Stephen who's just feeling like there's no hope for me. Hear the word of the Lord Jesus came that you would be made well. There is hope for you and his name is Jesus. Father, I pray that you would open our minds to possibility that we could be more like you. For those of us, Lord, that have maybe stagnated or we've, we've stalled in our growth, Father, would you create a new appetite for us to be filled to all the fullness of God? Lord, we just, we just believe that there's more. And Father, I pray today for all of us that you would help us live in the reality of working out our salvation in fear and trembling, that we would believe Jesus at your word, we are healed and we would learn how to walk that out in faith. Thank you, Father. I pray right now over King's Church. Would more and more people who are on the mats get up and walk? Father, we pray for a great testimony out of this place that there are thousands of folks who were invalids who are now walking around the city testifying to the great power and grace of Jesus. 
I pray that over King's Church Halifax. I pray that over St. Stephen's, Charlottetown, West Online. Lord, would the testimony of the great grace of Jesus continue to rise through this house? Lord, would this, would this house be truly a house of mercy? And would, would there be a multitude of people who find new life, wellness, and wholeness in your name? We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen.